In the early morning hours of April 15th in the year 1912, the RMS Titanic sank to the bottom of the Atlantic after striking an iceberg only a few mere hours before. Of the estimated 2,224 passengers and crew aboard, more than 1,500 people lost their lives. This nightmarish tragedy has been a mournful fascination of people for over a century, inspiring art, music, novels, plays, and several films. And this solemn obsession continues to this day, an obsession that filmmakers like James Cameron held very strongly. Way back before his all-time greatest director days, James Cameron was a young man studying physics at community college. Eventually, Cameron would drop out of college altogether and start writing and making his own films in the early 80s. By the early 90s, Cameron was well into an established filmmaking career when he saw the IMAX documentary Titanica, which featured actual footage of the real-life Titanic at the bottom of the ocean. This inspired Cameron, who was a longtime self-proclaimed shipwreck fanatic. He wanted to make his own deep sea voyage to the wreckage of this once great vessel, and he decided to use Hollywood's money to do it. Cameron pitched the idea of a Romeo and Juliet story on the Titanic to 20th Century Fox, who were apprehensive of the film's commercial prospects, wanting the more action-heavy fare that Cameron had become known for. But Fox wanted to form a long-term, strong relationship with Cameron, so they financed his dives. Over the next two years, Cameron and his crew made 12 visits to the wreckage of the Titanic, gathering as much footage as they could and exploring more of the shipwreck than had ever been seen before. Cameron felt that the story of the sinking of the Titanic was a great novel that really happened, but the story had become somewhat of a strict morality tale. He wanted to create a fictional story within the real-life tragedy to reconnect people to the human element of this catastrophe. And it worked. Titanic hit theaters in November of 1997 and obliterated the box office, breaking dozens of box office records including highest Christmas Day gross, highest December weekend gross, fastest film to reach 300 million, and it made $1.85 billion worldwide in its initial theatrical run, making it the highest grossing film of all time at that time, and would retain that title until Cameron outdid himself with Avatar in 2009. With subsequent theatrical releases in 2012, 2017, and 2023, Titanic has grossed a grand total of two and a quarter billion dollars on a $200 million budget. And that's not to mention the hundreds of accolades the film has received, including 14 Oscar nominations, 11 of which it would win, tying the record for a single film, which it still holds today along with Ben-Hur and The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. In the aftermath of a tragedy like this, there's so much to process, observations to be made, theories to be considered, and conclusions to be drawn. We're oftentimes left with the obvious questions. How? Why? And what are we supposed to learn from all of this? Today, we have our tickets to board as we ask those questions as well as our own. Hi, Tam. What's it about? I'm Ricardo Blaydias. I'm Seth Crow. I'm Megan Brannan. And this is the What's It About Film Podcast, a show where we try to glean the meaning of it all through the media we consume, holding a mirror up to ourselves and seeing how it reflects in our own lives. Seth and Megan, how are you doing today? There's a cat. My, I go first today. Oh. Uh, I'm, I'm all right. I'm all right. You know, um, it is um, summer and we're watching <laughs> Titanic and... <laughs> it is summer. 
Yeah, it is summer. Um, my car broke down. I mentioned that before mm-hmm. the podcast, which sucks because money. And uh, I'm just trying to, you know, not be overwhelmed by all of life's things. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's where I'm at today. Gotcha. Um, Seth, yeah. so most days when we we do this podcast, I I. Uh, my brain chooses to ignore certain things in your background, but I think because of the movie we watched today, I can't ignore the butt, the butt yeah, in the background. The butt in the background. <laughs> there's, a, there's a butt in the vibes. background. It's That's got, what I was like. I can't Titanic not see vibes. it. Yeah. Yeah. There's a butt in the background. Yeah. <laughs> Draw me like one of your French girls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this movie definitely had an impact on my um, artistic taste, I would say. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we'll get like into that. The first art pieces I ever drew were like semi-nude women. <laughs> so, semi-nude? Yeah, I never, I never drew like breasts or genitals, but I would, I would, I have like several chalk drawings of uh, very pretty Ris- women. Yeah, risque. Yeah, well, not, not, not risque. They're like women in nature. But like part of nature, they're hmm. yeah, yeah. So okay, yeah. Hey, um, Megan, you should talk. <laughs> okay, I'm here with Megan's Nora got other things in, in her background. Yeah, Nora's um really loving my new little setup. I know she's very needy. Nora oh, is, aren't we all? She's just so loud and so needy. Mm-hmm. My mom was here um for a bit, and so I think and she left this morning. So I think Nora's like. Now there's a uh, just less people to pay attention to her, so she's mm-hmm. trying to make up for it by being on the show. Uh, how was your visit with your mom? It was good. <laughs> she's so cute. <laughs> it was good. <laughs> um, she was just here for a couple of days, but it was really nice, and she got to stay with me and her dog. She brought her dog up here, and my neighbor has like a dog sitting thing, so um, the dog can't stay in my house because of the cats. But he was right next door, so we got to visit. Okay. And yeah, just a couple of days. It was nice. Awesome. That sounds great. Yeah, it's a, it I really always enjoy neat. when my parents get to visit. It, you know. Yeah. So that's awesome. That's nice. Yeah. Nice little visit with mom. Her yeah. mom's very nice. My mom is very nice. You met her mom? Yeah. She came into the restaurant. Oh. Did she keep her figurine or do you still she have did. it? Oh, she did. She keep kept it. it. Okay. Yeah, I gave it to her. Okay. She loves it. So I, now I I'm got... the only one that haven't met Megan's mom. I yeah. guess so. I guess so. We're gonna have to do a live podcast one day, and everybody can with meet. my mom. Yeah, well, we'll do a mom cast. podcast. I said yeah. we'll do a mom cast where we yeah. get all our moms on here. Yeah, that seems that's awesome. Honestly, that'd be very interesting if we like for Mother's Day next year. If we all had our moms on, that could be cute. That would be a lot. I think it'd be fun. <laughs> I think it could be I, a very loud podcast. <laughs> I know, and I want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> that's an i'm writing that down in my idea <laughs> mom cast uh yeah i've had an that's interesting weak. week myself we'll watch mother no no <laughs> watch bad moms We're um my week was fun was interesting um so my theater company that i work with uh firefly theater group we closed we were running a show a uh, title of show the musical um, and we closed on Sunday. Oh, hi, Nora. <laughs> uh, we closed on Sunday uh, and then had like our after 
uh, closing party, which was really fun and chill. It was a blast. Um, and then I found out yesterday that one of the films I shot earlier this year um, will be airing on Lifetime in August. Nice. Cool. Yeah. That's so really cool. that's really cool. And like, I was like, oh, thank God. Cause I've shot like four or five movies since I've moved out to LA and none of them have come out yet. It's mm. really frustrating. And every time I like, reach out to people about it, they're like, oh no, it, it, we're going to, it's coming. Like we, we got plans. I was like, great, cool, cool. So you and but, I both have worked for Lifetime now, which yep. is weird. Yep. Netflix and Lifetime for me, baby. I'm, I'm going down already. My career is already going like this. <laughs> you hit Netflix and then you go straight to Lifetime. I'm basically Candace Cam- Cameron Bure. <laughs> yeah, you guys are so similar. Yep. <laughs> you know, That's it. really cool, though. It is yeah. really cool. I'm really excited. And I Congrats. think from I, when I read the script, I thought it was really fun. I mean, it is really kind of silly, a little melodramatic, but like as far as for a lifetime movie goes, it's gonna be like pretty action packed. For I don't, I haven't watched. Obviously, I don't watch a whole lot of Lifetime. My mom does, so maybe she could tell me. But like, it's like an action thriller. Well, your mom watches Lifetime. That's pretty cool. If your mom watches Lifetime, I, you know what? I, that's what I said to myself. One of my goals in my career was to make a movie or to do some kind of project that my mom would watch, independent of me being in it. Mm-hmm. And this is as close as I've gotten so far, because I don't think my mom—if my mom was watching Lifetime and this movie came on—I don't know if she would keep it on. It's not necessarily her vibe, but it's on Lifetime, and she watches Lifetime movies all the time. She, Lifetime and Hallmark. My mom is big into those those TV movies. Oh wait, I didn't work for Lifetime. I worked for Hallmark. Um, mm-hmm. So now we're not yeah. friends anymore. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, they got, they sent us an email yesterday and was like, just so you know, like it's going to be up on August 6th, uh, on August 26th, it's going to be airing on Lifetime. So I'm like, cool. so yeah, I was like, cool. Um, however, I don't have cable or satellite, so I don't know how I'm going to watch it. If it airs live, I might have Is to it? go to their site and, and like stream it. But. You, live in yeah. LA. you live in LA, you can steal cable. Super I don't easy. think I can. I don't know who. I don't know anybody in my apartment complex that has it. We'll figure it out. But we're not yeah. here to talk about the movies I'm in. Yeah. Unless I'm in Titanic, in which case we, I would love to talk about that. Uh, we're here to talk about Titanic, uh, the 1997 Titanic. For those of you out there who are maybe more historical film fans, there are other Titanic movies. But we're watching. Titanic from 1997, directed by James Cameron, starring Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet. Uh, Seth, you picked Titanic. Why? Why? Well, um, it just came out on Netflix. So you did. You know, it's uh, everybody's watching it right now. So it felt Mm. relevant. Uh, You know, the whole submarine that went down to look at the Titanic, it just happened. Um, So it just suddenly Titanic is back and everybody's mental sphere mm-hmm. and this movie definitely for me was like the first time i ever felt romantic feelings like, like oh this, yeah this is like i mean not not like the boobs regardless you know <laughs> like how dare regardless. you regardless <laughs> like it's uh it you know i was like i think 11 or 12 when mm-hmm. this movie came out no if it, it came out in 97 i was 97 
I was like nine or 10, but, mm. but I definitely for the first time felt like romantic energy mm -hmm. and was like, Oh, this is, this is what love is supposed to feel like, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, so, um, and you know, with all the criticism lately, I've been receiving for my lack of, of romantic, uh, uh, notion, uh, that I felt like I needed to go back to the source, you know, go to the bottom of the ocean and find that heart. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I don't think I found it, but it, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely we're in search. Uh, so, um, the wreckage I, of Seth's soul is down there. Yeah, we have to yeah. find the heart that's <laughs> yeah, inside. Yeah. It's really you know, far down the track. in the ocean. And like, she like, she like, she like, <laughs> the way, yeah, the, it's like, oh my God, you're a psycho. Yeah. But, uh, millions of dollars, maybe billions of dollars into the ocean. I have dementia. <laughs> <laughs> Like, look, lady, I love the symbolism here, but, like, that could have helped a lot of homeless people. You know, yeah. sell that shit and give it to charity or something. Jack would, I think, would have liked that because he was poor. Well, Jack deserves it, so he has it <laughs> at the bottom of the ocean. Uh, oh, jeez. Uh, Megan, what about you? What was your uh, first interaction with Titanic like? Uh, I don't I don't remember what my first <laughs> my first interaction was. Um, I well, just because like it was just, I, it feels like it was always in my brain. I always had a memory mm -hmm. of it. Um, my came out when I was like three, I guess. And my mom, because she was in town, I was watching it part of it while she was here, and she was like, "We left you at your grandparents and went to go see this in theaters." And then I remember them having the VHS the double VHS because yep. it's oh, yeah. too long to fit on one. Had that in my room. Yeah, I remember having that and watching it. I um I remember it scared me cuz I think we watched it when I was pretty young like after it came out on VHS and I remember being really but I wasn't allowed to watch like the like obviously like the steamy part. So like all I remember the only thing that made an impression was like how scary the and sad the mm -hmm. last half was. Um, and then I don't think I've watched it all the way through to like, God, five years ago or something. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. So it, so you'd only like seen like. Bits and pieces. Wow. It's interesting. So long. And it's it always, it was always like, I feel like it was always, maybe a trimmed down version was always on TV somewhere. Mm -hmm. So I think I'd seen it through that. Well, yeah, then... the version that we usually see nowadays is the, like the director's like extended cut. Like they re-added mm -hmm. a whole bunch of things back in, like remastered it. Um, mm -hmm. The version that came out on the VHS is was uh, shorter. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I watched like the full. I don't know. I guess the full length version like a few years ago, and I was like, "Oh, this is good." And then, it is good. It holds good up. It is a it good does. movie. Um, and then watched it again this time. I was like, "Still good." Yeah. It really um, is still good. Yeah. This used to be peak Leonardo DiCaprio for me. This era of Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, it shifted. And well, it shifted a little bit because I'm older and like now I'm like, oh, he looks like very young. He looks like a baby. Um, he he's a baby 15. there. He yeah, 15. he looks really – and like the, even his like body language is very – I'm like, you feel like if gangly and I don't know. So it was a different experience. But um, I think around the same time still I will stand by Romeo and Juliet, Leonardo DiCaprio being my 
number one. He's even younger in that one. Is he? He seems older. (laughs) Or maybe I was just more emotionally attached to that movie because I loved Romeo and Juliet. So I think that I just, that's He's got more baby fat. So maybe he looks thicker. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. That's my Titanic. I'm trying to find how old, how old the, like they were, the characters are supposed to be. And I cannot find it. Well, in, in, in Romeo and Juliet. No, in in this Titanic, because oh, okay. okay. before we got on the podcast, <laughs> yeah, I know that. I know not that. in the Baz Luhrmann one. Um, I, I was looking because I, I, before we got on the podcast, Seth, Seth and I were just like chatting, and I was like, he just seems so much younger than her. But I think I think he's in supposed this? to be old in Titanic. Yeah, yeah, he does like, seem. Kate younger. Winslet seems like seems older than than Leonardo DiCaprio, but I think the characters are are supposed to be the opposite. I think. I think Rose is supposed to be younger. Yeah, she's, she's like supposed getting, to be seventeen. She's getting like oh. married off, yeah, or something like that. Yeah, she's supposed to be young, and then he, I think, you know, he's been traveling around for a while in his life, so I think he's supposed to be like, you know, 20. like nineteen or twenty, yeah, yeah. So, like a little bit older than her. Cause he even is like a little bit more mature than she is, as far as like emotionally speaking. You know what I mean? Yeah, I guess we could do the math on it because they say that she was not like a hundred and one or something. Okay, yeah, so she was 17. Yeah, so that's true. Okay, so I, I thought was, that was the case. He was 15 when he left home. So I don't know okay. how long he's been on the road, but he's got to be a while in her. Yeah. Even just a little bit, maybe like 18 at the moment. Yeah. But yeah. okay. Cool. It doesn't say, I guess. It doesn't say, say, I, say I don't think is. they ever really like get into it, but like I think that's what's implied is that she's really supposed to be really young, but she seems. Kate Winslet just looks like she's older than Leo. She does Leo, look older. Leo had this boyish thing going on where he just looked really young for the, a long time. The moment where they're in the car and like he is finished uh, mm-hmm. with uh, the act of love, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> the way she holds him, it changes their whole dynamic. Like yeah, it suddenly becomes mother son. Like yeah. it's like it's very weird. It's like, yeah. it's like they're, they're like on the same peer level and then suddenly it's like, oh no, Kate. He's a baby. Kate is your mommy. Yeah. He's just a baby. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, it is a little strange that yeah. moment. You're trembling. Let me hold you. Uh, yeah. To her, holding her t- into yeah. her bosom. Yeah. 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 I can see that. Um. My first experience with the movie very similar to Megan's, where I, I, I don't remember what how old I was when I saw it. So I was about six when this movie came out. So probably was seven or eight when I saw it, somewhere around there. Um, and the only reason I remember that is because I remember we also had the the two VHSs. I remember watching it in my bedroom, but in our old house. And my, it was my first bedroom in that house because we basically – my sister had the upstairs bedroom and I had the downstairs bedroom. And then when my brother was born and my older, oldest sister went to college, my sister took her room, the second upstairs bedroom. I took the other upstairs bedroom and then my brother moved into my old bedroom. So like that was when I was around seven or eight. So I had to have seen this movie before I was eight years old, somewhere in there. Um, and like you said, Megan, I remember – very specific images watching it from when I was little. Like I remember the rats running away from the water. That was like an image that really had stuck in my head from my childhood. Um, but what's funny is my parents didn't like fast forward 
through it. Like they weren't in there when I was watching it. I was watching it all by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's crazy is I don't remember seeing the nudity scenes. Mm-hmm. Like I don't remember that part. You blocked them out of your mind. I may, I might have. I don't think I was traumatized. This is but bad. like, this is bad. I'm not. Supposed I don't. To remember. I just don't remember experiencing seeing it. Yeah. Oh, Which I remember weird. the moment. I mean, this was the first breast I ever saw. That, yeah. That That's why like, I'm like, I'm like, it's very strange to me. I was like, oh, weird. I just don't remember like reacting to that. I remember being very, like Megan said, being very scared uh, because like it is scary, like all the flooding and it's really intense and really sad. Um, I do remember, I do, but I do remember watching like the, the hand scene, the, you know, iconic hand on the, yeah. on the foggy yeah. window. I remember seeing, watching that. But I don't know. I just don't remember the my other dad, stuff. My dad covered my eyes in the movie theater, but I oh. remember I could see through the cracks. <laughs> he didn't do a very good he didn't job. Didn't do a very good job. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I like like Megan said. I all even when I was a kid, I was like, "This is a good movie." You know what I mean? Like I could tell that this was a good movie, um, and. I've watched it a, a bunch of times since, and it is a long one. Megan's not wrong; it is a long one, but but it's still really good. Like the, it's the design of it, like the, the 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 actual like sets and costume. It's like really pretty to watch too. Some of the CGI is a little bit dated now. You can like see yeah. some of the you can see some of the edges there, but like even so, it's still pretty yeah. damn impressive. It, I think it, the the movie holds up really really well. The like the major thing that I think I missed as a kid, like it was scary, but I did not fathom the trauma of loss of life. And oh like, my gosh, how, yeah, like just absolutely horrific that would be. You know, like yeah. they do a really good job of like, oh yeah, all these people died, and this is what it was like. This is actually we're gonna let you live it. We're gonna let you live. Mm-hmm their Horrifying. death experience which yeah. is like i mean to me i'm gonna say this i think it puts it on the same level of scary as like the shining like i think it's that horrific like it's it's on the same tier of horror as the shining oh, for me see i don't i don't know if i like if for me if it feels if it feels similar to that but i definitely watching it this time around the impact of like the like you said the just massive loss of life happening so quickly like hit me harder than it had been previous viewings where i like was really kind of like said experiencing it a little bit more and like yeah it's like you said i think james cameron did a really good job of like really being like this is this is the experience and this is how scary and sad and horrifying it was in lots of different ways. Um, I mean, it's yeah. a, and it's a like structurally brilliant film. Oh yeah. Like even down to like the moment with Rose and Jack on the edge of the boat. Like, so like we start with them, he's pulling her one way over and then the movie like near the end, like reflexively to save her mm-hmm. life, he's pulling her the other way over, which is like mm-hmm. really fascinating to me. Um, and the the one thing I've been like jonesing to, to like mention on here is the scene with the carpenter, um, uh, the shipbuilder, 
mm-hmm. where he is in uh, that like fancy foyer mm-hmm. and he's like staring at the clock and mm-hmm. fixes the clock there. That scene evokes so much uh, Magritte's tra- time transfix. I don't know if you've ever seen this painting, but like, it's like a, a painting of a fireplace and there's like a train coming out mm. of the fireplace like a small train coming out of the fireplace mm. like dead on and so like the way that that scene shot just like looks so much like this painting and and then it, and then the water like bursts through well mm. it, it, it's just yeah it's just like and not only that but like it feels like time is different in that room like mm-hmm. Like, it's like, yeah, all of this crazy stuff is happening. But in this room, it's like calm, just waiting for the end. He even like fixes the clock, you know, like he like mm-hmm. takes the time to like, who cares, you know, yeah. but like he does. And uh, I, that's like one of my favorite visual scenes in the movie. Um, and I love that painting. And like, I think it says, like, you know, we're. I mean, I am a Magritte fans. Like our podcast cover is a Magritte, mm-hmm. like homage. So, like, I don't know. I, I logged that when I saw it, and and it's just like you know, time is relative, and your experience of it is completely relative. And who knows what your experience of time is like that close to death? Like, if you know you're going to die, like probably releasing chemicals, DMT in your brain, like who knows what that, how long that moment la- like lasts for. And so mm-hmm. I think that's really fascinating. Yeah. And I, I mean, I was after watching this movie and like, I did a little bit of like research um, just on the actual Titanic and like, there were a lot of really wealthy people on that boat that died there. Like million for their time, like richest, richest people in the world type shit. Yeah. Um, it's crazy. And like after this, like, you know, a lot of focus is on like the tragedy itself. And it's like, but like after the fact, like, like all like the, like they sent like ships to go recover bodies and they, of, and they only recovered 33 bodies, um, which is crazy. Uh, like the fight over pe- like rich people's estates after they died, especially if like their bodies weren't recovered was like really, really tough. Like, it, like the aftermath of this tragedy was also really dramatic and tragic. And like, it's like a part, part of this movie that this movie doesn't really go into that part as quite as much, but, but like in the real life tragedy, like this thing had an, in a worldwide impact overnight. Yeah. Which was well, crazy. Well, I think, and it, and it's spooky. Like, I think that's what, what's so nuts about this thing is like it feels like divine intervention that this thing sunk you know like there's a there is like a spooky quality to this whole happening happening because it's like the ship that couldn't be sunk you know it was almost like daring the universe to sink it well it it, if you want to go biblical on this it's very tower of babel yeah you know we're it's hubris it's it's like we're gonna build something so immaculate that it could challenge God, you know, it could reach the heavens. Um, the, you know, this ship is unsinkable. It is perfect. It's so perfect. We don't need the proper, 
safety and, precautions. And, and it's almost like a monument to that now. And the fact that like this other tragedy just happened around it is even spookier. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, like, it's like, no, don't, don't fuck with this. Like this thing is a, a monument to hubris. And you're, if you're, you're going to approach it in this way, like, approach it with the proper reverence and respect. Yeah, and, and yeah. yeah, I mean, it's trippy. I mean, as you know, it's morbid to talk about, but like, yeah, like it, it's crazy how this like new, this new tragedy that we just had mirrors so much the Titanic itself. Like all the, you know, you, we hear it, we're hearing now about like all the safety precautions that Ocean Gate disregarded, you know, and all the, the warnings that everybody gave them saying, don't, don't, don't do this. This thing is not structurally sound. Like you're, you're, you're your design premise is is horrifically flawed and this guy is basically is like screw you i'm doing I'm it rich. anyway yeah and yeah it, it again it's like that that hubris of thinking nah it's fine we're gonna be fine because we're because we're rich and we think we know better and uh it's sad um it's really, really sad. And that's the thing that like James Cameron said, he's like Titanic for us over a century had become this, like this morality tale of like, you know, these guys, like all these people that designed the ship and were, were captaining the ship and were all these rich people on board were like cutting corners, you know, they, they're like, Oh, well, like, this ship can't sink. So like, let's push the engines through a dangerous part of the ocean so we can get there faster and make headlines and make more money. You know, it's it. But he's like, I don't want that to be the main focus of this movie. I want it to be. the Like you said, the people who are actually on board, not just the the named figures of history who we all know, you know, Aunt, Mr. Andrews, the, the designer and and the captain and, you know, all the, you know, unsinkable Molly Brown and all the all the figures that we've have come out of there and that his history remembers. I have always like, even watching it now, like I watched half of it yesterday. I broke it up into two halves because it's so long. Just like the VHS wanted. I know it's like a joke and like people say it all the time, but like, it's insane to me. Like the movie is longer than it took the ship to sink. Like Mm -hmm. that's crazy to me. Um, But I even watching like half of it yesterday, I was just like kind of thinking about it all day. And then I was watching YouTube videos. Like there's a real time, um youtube video of it sinking like how it it's mm-hmm. i think like a simulation sense of, yeah i think it's like the morbid curiosity and then just like the sense of awe like the trying to imagine everything about it is a nightmare it's like it's it, fucking horrifying like it's so quiet out there the water is so cold the boat's so big it's <sighs> and so last night i was like down a youtube rabbit hole watching youtube videos of like what happened like what really happened or like the fatal flaw in the titanic and there's so much content about it and there's so many documentaries mm. about it. And when I was a kid, it freaked me. It so scared me. Mm. But I was also, I, after I, you know, watched part of the movie, I think we learned about it in school. I was like checking out books from the library on it. And like, I, I don't know, there's just something about it. I think it's the spooky aspect. The fact that it feels kind of like, I don't know, supernatural or like divine intervention. Like you said, also the fact that um, like, I, I don't know it seems like it reminds me of the, the shuttle that went up. Um, I can't remember what, Challenger. which was like, Challenger. I mix up their names. 
I think it was that one. I mix up their names sometimes, but it went up because like they, they knew like their engineers knew there was something off, but they like, they had pushed back the launch date so many times Mm -hmm. and they didn't want to do it again because they were going to let people down. So they just let it go. Um, And that's just like, that's so fascinating. Like we can build these like giant, huge things that seem untouchable, but like human error Mm -hmm. can also lead to like equally huge, unimaginable horrors, like Mm -hmm. the tiniest human error. It's just, it's fascinating and it's horrifying. Yeah. And and for me, like, like you said, the scariest thing about the Titanic is like how many things had to go wrong, you know? Like not, it wasn't just like a design flaw, right? It wasn't just, they were going too fast. It wasn't just the Titanic wasn't able to, it was so big that it couldn't turn very quickly. It wasn't just that they didn't see the iceberg in time. It was, it was all the things had to happen together. They all had to happen or else this tragedy doesn't happen. Yeah. Like I know, like I don't know if this is true or not, because I'm not I'm not an engineer, I'm not a physicist, so I don't know if this is true or not. But I I saw a, a video about the Titanic once, and the and the person was saying that like had the Titanic hit the iceberg head on, just like went straight into it, like it was like it was going to, mm-hmm. it would not have sank because it was going mm-hmm. it was going fast enough, you know, and like like the in the movie the the um the designer is like we can lose one compartment we can lose four compartments but as soon as that fifth one is breached that's it like we have like boats have pumps they do have pumps and so as long as you're able to seal off any any breaches in those first four compartments the pumps will get well, the pumps will be able to pump out at a rate fast enough to keep the boat floating mm-hmm. it's buoyancy and he's like but once the fifth one then the pumps don't have time they can't do it fast enough and so, I, I, again, I'm, again, I'm not an engineer. I'm not a physicist. I don't know if that's true. That I've also, had, had the Titanic just went boom, like straight into the yeah. thing, that it probably would have pushed the thing out of the way. Mm. And maybe so the first compartment would have been damaged or two. But, like, yeah. it, it would not have, like, punctured holes in so many compartments all at once. That I've was, like, where, heard... where it was, the flaw was. Yeah, I think I might have heard that. I've also heard that if they had kept going – because they didn't keep going full speed mm-hmm. and tried to turn. But if they had kept going full speed and right. turned, there's a chance they would have just missed it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll, and like, I also, yeah, I'm not an engineer. I'm not a boat captain. Um, in you're not, <laughs> I know it's shocking. Um, but I, on here. <laughs> but, um, I've heard in some of the videos I watched that the captain, like people are like, well, why did he like keep going before they saw it? Like in such dangerous waters, why was he still going so fast? But I guess it was like common practice. Um, not only did they want to get there faster, but also I think it was common practice in the time to like, mm-hmm. to, to do that for some reason. Um, it's just all so interesting to me, to everybody clearly. Mm-hmm. One of the, one of the big things that for me is the most fascinating. I know, and I know that this is scientifically factual. Is like there's like how did they not see this massive iceberg, right? How did they not see it? Um, well, like the, the way that like you know, it, basically they had a mirage happening because like the air, the air outside was way warmer than the the water below, and so it was creating like this like 
basically like shimmer mirage effect. If you have ever been like on the uh, out in the desert, uh, if the air is hotter than what's happening beneath it, there's like this convection that happens that causes like a wall of like this weird air that's like very, very reflective in a weird way. And so like you can't see shit (laughs) until it's like right there because it just doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. And also the, from what I understand, the water was so still, which is another thing that makes it so like haunting. Mm -hmm. Um, It was so still and so quiet that there were no waves to lap up against the iceberg. Mm -hmm. So they couldn't hear that or see that. And that's what's the scariest thing to me is, is like how many things had to go wrong. How many of these, these, conditions had to be met for this thing to happen and they and they all and they all were and you know i think that's a, a lot of people i think sometimes when they t- we talk about tragedies like well a lot of bad things need to happen for us to have like a, a, a catastrophic failure yeah and it's like and that's like a reason for people to like feel safe about something it's like oh don't worry like so many bad things need to happen for like a, a catastrophic failure it's like you know what sometimes that sometimes that happens like you know, the BP oil spill, like so many things had to go wrong for that to happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, it happens. It's just, Tra- I'm trying to think of eh, like other similar situations. Challengers, you know, I think a good, it was a good challenger too. Yeah. Yeah. I, but the scale of, like that was obviously that's, so well, that's tragic, the thing, but the scale, scale of loss on right. that. Yeah. And just like the absolute... The fact that they didn't have enough lifeboats, like that alone is like, what the fuck were you doing? Which well, is like, either like you don't care or no, I've also heard that it was because it didn't look as good. Right. Because that's, having the, that many lifeboats wouldn't look as. Yeah. And he yeah, says that in the movie. Crazy. Um, okay. Uh, that's uh, Victor Garber, who plays Andrews, who's who's mm-hmm. the ship designer, you know, he's given a tour of the boat to like Rose and her family and, and to Hockley. And he, and she, she, she brings it up. She's like, um, she's like, I know I'm noticing how many lifeboats are here and i know how many people are on the ship so she's like i don't think there's enough boats and he's like you're right there's not i said we needed double he's like and i designed it to where we could have two you know we could have two or three stacked here and they they said no because it doesn't it looked bad like it didn't look pretty right it didn't look pretty to have all these these lifeboats lined up here and so yeah they reduced them uh yeah Again, so many, so many mistakes had to be made. However, like as much as we, you know, and again, that's one of the reasons why this movie is so big. It's the fascination with this tragedy has, has captivated people for forever and talking about it and speculating and, and pouring over these details. And like you said, from a, from a 20, from a hindsight perspective, being like, wow, you guys really had to make so many mistakes. It is a great conversation piece. But it's not what this movie's necessarily about, right? right? So this, so let's maybe get into the Jack and Rose of it all. Um, so this movie is about, quote unquote, this movie is the story of a young woman who is uh, due to to marry a rich man, and they board the Titanic to head back to America to get married. While on the Titanic, she meets a young rapscallion uh, from third class who. Good, good word. Good. He is a rapscallion. He is a rapscallion, isn't he? He's not a rapscallion. He's a rapscallion. He's a rapscallion. Uh, she meets a young rapscallion, and the two of them fall in love, and one of the greatest love stories of all time unfolds. 
within one of the greatest tragedies of all time. Uh, and that is the story of the Titanic. So while watching this movie, guys, again, outside of the experience of watching the Titanic scene, because that's only like the last 40 minutes of the movie of like a three hour movie about they hit, they like Seth said, this movie structurally is really, 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 really sturdy. Like they hit the Titanic, like right at the, they hit the iceberg, like right at the midpoint. And that's mm-hmm. like in screenwriting, that's like called like the, the like one of the turning points of the movie. Like the movie's supposed to like change directions at the midpoint, basically. It's supposed to like find like like what you thought the story was 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 headed. There's a turn, and now it's mm-hmm. not about what you thought it was. Like it happens, they hit the iceberg like right there, um, and so it's very structurally sound. Um, but like the Titanic doesn't like start like, things don't start going bad until like the last like four. 40, 30 minutes of the movie. That's when things start going really, really bad. I think so, they were going pretty bad before. <laughs> well, yeah. Nobody <laughs> was like, oh, I was a chance. <laughs> well, you know. No, but, I'm kidding. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like the the, the I'm not sinking... talking about the character uh, <laughs> of the characters in the movie. We're talking about okay. the structure the, of well, the Well, the sinking uh, the sinking is only a small portion of the movie. Most of the movie is mm-hmm. about these characters. And so what was going through your minds while you were watching this movie? What were some of the things that you were feeling and uh, going through as you were watching the story unfold? And I one of the brilliant things about this movie is the fact that we all know the Titanic's going to sink. And so like some of the things these characters say throughout the movie, you're just yeah. like, you're, you're sitting there like watching a slow motion train collision where you're just like, Oh no. You know what's wild is like every time I watch this movie, there's like an inner child part of me that hopes mm-hmm. they miss the iceberg. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't matter this how many time, times I watch this, it. This time. It's like, it's like maybe this time they'll miss it. Yeah. You know, like maybe this time Jack won't die. Like maybe this time, like, I don't know. It's weird. It's weird. Yeah. I mean, if you take that out of the movie, it's still a, an interesting, there's still enough of a conflict between the characters to make it a, yeah, a good th- story. It is a good story. And you know what? It's one of, uh, it's, we've done like three movies in a row that are, that's a little bit about classism. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, this whole movie is like, elitist is bullshit fucking billy zane billy zane what bad guy what uh he was like bad dude he was like the og emo kid with that (laughs) (laughs) eyeliner yeah i'm like oh wait i was like constantly i used to dress like that in the late in the 2010s oh my god um but like you're right like the, the 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 class politics of this movie and and that's what the Titanic was. Like there was a first class, there was a second class, there was a third class and they all got treated differently and they all were given access to different parts of the ship. And so like inherently there's a, there's a classism theme in this movie. You just, you just, you just can't avoid it, you know? Yeah. And it, you know what it always seems like, which is not cool. It's always the guy is the, is the lower class. The woman's the upper class. The guy's the lower class. Oh yeah, always that way. Because if the guy were the upper class, he'd be a douchebag. Because that's the way. He'd have too much. He'd have too much power. That's I think the dynamic is adjusted because she is she is helpless and he is helpless, but it's in different ways. There are no there are no good rich men. Are you? That's true. (laughs) Look at Billy Zane. 
I got okay. This is a tangent, and I have to bring it up. We don't so do tangents we, on this we? show. So <laughs> go ahead. Okay, now I gotta say this delicately and carefully. So Jonah Hill's being canceled right now, right? Mm-hmm. I don't. Yeah, I've seen a headline about that, but I don't know the details of that. Okay, well that'll aid me. Um, <laughs> so uh, no, I what he did is not cool, not a good look. Um, are you familiar with with what's going on, Rick? Yeah. Okay. So he posed. So what, basically, what happened, and uh, I, th- the reason I'm talking about this is there are no good rich men is is what triggered my um, mm. thought about this. Mm. But basically, he posted, or he didn't post. His ex girlfriend posted a text feed where he is setting his boundaries with her, and. Uh, the boundaries were basically outrageous for her job, like, because she's, she was a surfer. And so like, he put, he's like, if you want to be my partner, these are the things that these are my boundaries. And like, he was like, you can't be posting overtly sexual images online. You can't, um, be like hanging out with single men, like, or hanging out with like men. And like what he posted was like, those boundaries are, are outrageous, Right. Like, so like, I understand the pushback about it in that regard. However, however, there's like all these people and like women coming out about therapy men, like men who are in therapy and use therapy to like manipulate them and things like that. And I'm like, it. I'm getting I'm getting real triggered by this because like do not do not point fingers at therapy men because like what else are men supposed to do but go to therapy? Do not do not discourage men from going to therapy. I just it just it, it yeah. like it so, like Yeah, makes I understand me what you're saying. It makes yes, me I get hot. it. I can see that. So there's a few arguments that are being made here that I, I, I definitely fall on the side of. So first and foremost, I understand that like the way that people, the way that discourse happens in, in our current state of affairs in life on like social media and stuff like that, there's so little nuance in the way that people talk about things, but this, this is where people need to be careful. Cause like you said, you don't attack people who go to therapy like don't attack say oh men are just going to therapy so that they can abuse it like that's a dangerous statement and like you said it's already really hard to get a lot of men to get into therapy yeah so like don't do that trying to better myself yeah i've been trying to better myself for 10 years just to get in your pants like that's the only reason i have spent thousands and thousands of dollars like that that's the implication you know? Yeah. I want to, I want to, you know, like we have any audience members, but like, you know, if any of our <laughs> friends out there are like, you are like s- using this rhetoric about like therapy, men, just remember that it's not, it's not, the problem isn't men going, like all men aren't going to therapy to be able to abuse it. That's not well, what that would, and, and again, even if they are, it's already it, so hard in, to get a guy to go to therapy. Yeah. Because at of least all this other bullshit. At least they're in therapy so somebody can call them out on it. You know what I mean? Like, However, I will say that 
a narcissist, a person who has bad intentions, who goes to therapy, like, like some people, some people will use it to their advantage. We'll use the rhetoric. Like, I think people do that now or like people who don't go to therapy use these terms that we use a lot in our, in our, you know, these buzzwords that we use in our, a lot of way we talk about things. I feel like people do use those words to their advantage to, and the thing about this Jonah Hill situation in particular is that like, he's using these words, boundaries and things like that. Those, that's not, that, those aren't boundaries. It didn't sound like boundaries. those aren't boundaries. He's well, I'm Googling. boundaries. You know, those, those aren't boundaries. Boundaries are ways that you want to be treated and things like that. But like he's saying that I want to control you. I want to control what you put out, how you portray yourself. And if you're not okay with that, yeah. you we can break up because I'm not the guy for you. But he's like a celebrity. He has a lot of power in their in their in their relationship. You know what I mean? And so he, he's not setting boundaries. He's not being like, hey, like, you know, I feel uncomfortable sometimes with some of the pictures that you post, and I know that's wrong. Can we have a conversation about it? You know, something like that. That's different. He's just like, hey, I don't like this. I'm going to control. I don't like that people are leering at you. You're a, you're a surfer and you're a model. Like, of course, she has to post pictures of her in swimsuits. Yeah. That's I, her job. I, I want to make it clear. I I am. I see yes. what he's doing is wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. But I, I am infuriated. No. That it seems like people are attacking guys who go to weaponizing. Don't date her. Sorry, I'm reading the text. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, go it's ahead. bad. Keep he he comes like, off well, not I'm... great. Comes off not. The thing of this is though, these like texts came out years ago. Like, like the, these texts are from years ago, and she's bringing yeah. them up uh-huh. now. And so like that bothers me a little bit. You know what I mean? Like if it just happened, I could friendships. I could... Sorry, I'm so sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Friendships with women who are in unstable places and from your wild recent past beyond getting a lunch or coffee or something respectful. Yeah, that's insane. No, yeah, that's he's insane. being he's being really control hyper controlling and it's wrong. It it's puts, toxic. Yeah. It says these things have hurt our trust. It sounds like you don't you didn't trust her before. Like these are not the words of somebody who has ever trusted this person. Also, wait, we don't also here's the thing. We don't know if like Here's the thing that also is like complicated about this situation. Again, these texts are from years ago and now she's publishing them. She's putting them out there, which is fine. You know, exposing bad behavior. It's it's fine. However, (laughs) we don't know their relationship and she maybe had cheated on him in the past. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe that's where some of these trust then issues are coming from. He can draw that boundary and break up with her. Yes, that, that's I agree. A boundary he can I agree. Draw. What yeah. he's doing is absolutely disgusting. Yeah, one hundred percent agree. It's not okay. I see what you're both saying. I do. I just saw the the text. He's he using said, he's, he's using therapy speech. Yeah, he's using therapy speech. Therity. These are my boundaries, and and this and this, and and you know I will support you and all that stuff. And it's, but it's it is it is weaponizing oh. therapy. It's the it's the phrase go model. It's a fulfilling life. You'll love it. Real depth and sub- substance and sustainability for relationships. He yeah, just no, doesn't he, respect her no. at all. No. You you just can't be in a relate okay. Yeah. No, it's it's well it's bad. Gross. Um, I, like I said, I'm gross. I, I just yeah. wanna make Jonah. I wanna make it clear I'm agreeing that it's a bad look. But we can't yeah. 
but like it can't be about therapy guys like it can't be it can't i got i did a I did a mic set yesterday um that like in, in the, and there was like six people in the audience <laughs> so it was okay but i decided to talk about this and there's an angle i want to take that i think is funny right with mm -hmm. this it's like oh thank god thank god jonah hill's getting canceled because now i can finally stop going to therapy you know <laughs> like, <laughs> like i can finally stop going to therapy because everybody knows it's just so i can get in your pants and that's mm. that's what you know like like i don't know it's just but instead what happened was i actually said what i really thought about it <laughs> like mm -hmm. I, and i got hot on the mic and i like got angry mm -hmm. and like it, it it's just really frustrating because it's like so you're gonna you're gonna like judge men for going to therapy which is like you you're you're already you're already not allowing men to have their emotions mm. and now you're going to judge them for creating a space, safe space for them to like experience those emotions and say it's like just another tactic for men to be evil it's like what the fuck do you want us to do you know like it just Again, seems I'm, like a very I'm hoping I'm hoping the discourse corrects itself in that it's not about men men abusing like all men abusing therapy for their own means like that's a hopefully that's not what people are going to take away from this because they're right that's really dangerous because that's gonna that's gonna discourage other men from doing therapy so i'm hoping the discourse changes to hey a narcissist gonna narcissist and they will use whatever they can to manipulate and it's like hopefully therapy can help them not do that yeah but while they're still going through their shit they're going <laughs> to abuse it. They're going to yeah. use the things that they, that their therapist tells them and they're going to twist. That's what gaslighting is. Yeah. That, that's literally what gaslighting is. Like gaslighting is like you using a, a logic and an emotional calmness to like make somebody else seem like they're, they're yeah. crazy. And like, and it's, he's, this is just yeah. another, another vernacular, another set of words that you can use to do that. It sounds like he, was not expecting her to be able to stand up for herself and use the same like words back with him in a way that he disagreed with. It sounds like he wasn't expecting her to be that smart. And she was. Um, no, I agree that we shouldn't. I, I understand why it's scary to hear people start to like talk like that and start to associate men going to therapy in like any negative way because it shouldn't be yeah, everyone like, should go to like therapy. The new fuck boy is the therapy guy. Right. But I think it's, but I, not by like I agree that um, men should go to therapy. They shouldn't be worried about how they're perceived, or that somebody will. But I have dated <laughs> men who <laughs> have done this to me. Oh God, I'm so um, sorry. No, it's but it wasn't it it wasn't on purpose. It wasn't like he was like using, and I wasn't in therapy at the time. He was older, and I was like, well, he's in therapy and he's older, and so he must be more mature and working on himself. But what he would do is go to therapy. And he was a fine person in the end. We just didn't work. Um, but he would go to therapy and then he would not do any of the work in between. He would just use the, I went to therapy like card to I'm working seem on like it. he had done more work than me, yeah. which is therapy is not 
there are people in therapy who are doing no work outside of that conversation. And yes, those conversations are important, but you can't like not do any of the work in between. Um, and yeah, so I've been kind of on the other side of it. I think just everyone needs to critically think about, uh, you know, if you see a red flag like that, if a guy starts talking in those terms in a way that makes you feel uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. then, then watch out. But if it seems like he's genuinely just trying to figure it out the same way we all are, then great. I think most men who go to therapy, why would you pay a hundred dollars a session to, you know? Well, if you're a celebrity, you have your disposable income. Well, and also therapy and it's great, but um, the mental health conversation has become so popular on social media that people who don't go to therapy are using these words. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, it's that there's a good thing in that. And the fact that therapy is expensive and these um, resources are more accessible, but then, yeah, the flip side of that is that people can weaponize them, which is very scary. So I understand both the fear. I understand both sides. Yeah. I'm sorry. Jonah Hill should not have been icky. Jonah Hill. Stop it. Yes. I'm sorry. Not all therapy men. I'm sorry if, yeah, I'm sorry if all if if this is not relevant to this. Well, no, no, it is relevant because you no, know. No, I think Jonah Hill is totally relevant. To well, well, no, I think he is though because I think that that text and the 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 essence of that text and the way that he was using his words is so similar to the way that Billy Zane's character was talking to Rose, especially in that after you know. They had that dinner where she invited him to the fancy dinner and then she like absconded away with him to like the lower decks to dance. And there's that the breakfast they had after where he's like, I know, I know you're like going off and having dalliances with this poor guy. You can't do that. And she's like, well, um, I'm your wife and you're going to treat me with respect. And he flips out. He's like, absolutely not. You are going to do exactly what I say when I say it, and you're going to behave the way that you are expected to behave as my wife right now, from now on forever, or I will kill you. That's like the – That's the vibe you get. Yeah. That's that's the vibe you get from him. He doesn't say kill you, but like basically he's like, or I will leave you destitute basically, mm-hmm. and you will you will be a poor person. Yeah. How terrible. Um um yeah, you know, power like, dynamic is – So like he's kind of the Jonah – he's kind of the Jonah Hill, you know? In this situation, he's being controlling. He's using, he's using his influence and power. And <laughs> that and, man's and, never been to therapy. <laughs> no, he needs therapy. And like the sad thing of it is, he unalives himself in the movie. You know, mm. like they say, like he, um, the stock market crash, he mm. unalived himself. So that's definitely could have used some therapy, for yeah. sure. Um, and then, in, and also like him grabbing the child and be like, "I have oh, a child." God. I that I remember. That I remember. That like seared itself into my brain. I was like, "That's the worst thing I've ever seen a person do." For some reason, that was like when I was. Oh a kid. really? I was like, that's so it. if you keep, if you pay attention, what happens? He's you know, he's on the boat, and that's the one that like kind of like got caught a little bit, mm-hmm. and they had to like they had to like you know cut the ropes to yeah. free it. If you notice, as like it's getting like tipped, and people are like trying to swarm it, and it's getting like a little bit like submerged. You know what mm-hmm. he does? He pushes the child into the water. <laughs> That's not funny. That's horrible. But like, I never noticed this before. But I was watching because like he doesn't have the kid later. Yeah. He as it's like getting like Ooh. as people are trying to climb in and it's like getting pulled Funny. down with the ship a little bit. He like takes the child as it's tipping and he like 
let's go yeah. of the child and let's there, it go into the water. There were all, a lot of little details like that I never noticed watching it this time. Like when the guy threatens to shoot people if they don't like chill out, mm. you know, like he's like, back up, back up. You know, he has the gun. It's not they, even loaded. And then he turns around and he loads it. I never noticed that oh. before. I'd never yeah. noticed that before. Um, yeah, little little really cool story details. Um, yeah, this movie is like, I, it 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 is a very good movie. Yeah. Hey, sorry to interrupt your favorite podcast, but I'm here to tell you about Shrimp and Crits, an actual play podcast with a southern twist. My name is Ian, and I am the keeper for this show as we play Monster of the Week by Michael Sands. If you like the sound of swampy monster mayhem, gators gone shopping, and magical fairy mischief, you will be right at home in the remote panhandle town of Gullicochica, Florida, where spooky danger has begun to wash ashore. Shrimp and Crits is the story of Sarah Payne the Mundane. All I'm asking for is answers. That's all I'm looking for is the truth. Ari Green the Searcher. You know the proclamations of the Fae. I suggest you follow them from now on. And Ray Ray, the most mundane monstrous you will ever meet. Mr. Zeus, I'm a I'm a big fan. I, I knew you were I knew you were real. Um and Ray Ray's just like bowing in front of this swan. As they fumble their way through protecting their skeptical town from mysterious evils. We release new episodes every other Monday on the podcatcher of your choice. Hope to see you soon in Sunny Gullicoach. And I gotta ask guys, what what what's it about? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean for me, there are there are two big things that I come away with this this movie in. And the first one is, and I think again, with like a Reese the recent Ocean Gate tragedy uh, accident um there's an overarching social theme of like money can't save you and they even say that in this movie your money's not going to save you any more than it's going to save me like you're rich i'm poor i'm working class you're upper class your money it when a tragedy happens does you no good you know like you can argue there's an argument to be made more of the upper, more of the first class passengers got on boats. Even more of the first class men got on boats. But even then, like I looked it up, like like seventy percent of the first class men still still died. Mm-hmm. Like it, it it it's a the men the men you know obviously so like definitely were most yeah. of the deaths. Let me look at this these numbers here. When we were we were watching it, um, my mom and I and my roommate came into the room and she'd never seen the whole thing. And we were talking about the the women and children thing. And she was like, the one time I'm kind of like, yeah, no, we should <laughs> treat us different. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah. <laughs> if I were on a boat, I would be like, I, sh- I should go first. So uh, 67% of first class men died. 92% of second class and 84% of, of third class. 78% of the crew that were men. So... Mm-hmm. And of the women, 3% of first class died. So the, overwhelmingly, the women were put on the boats first. Sec, 14% of second class, still pretty good. Um, 54% of third class. So the third class women didn't get on the boats. Um, and 13% of the female crew. So 
a lot of the female crew got on there too. A lot of children died though. Um, 17% of first class. There was only six of them. So only one of them died. Uh, 34, uh, sorry, 66% of third class children didn't get on the boats. 0% of second class. All the second class kids lived. That's interesting. I think what you're saying is I, I like the way that you phrase that the, um, money can't save you thing. Like you, even if you're at the very top of society, like there are things stronger and scarier than, than other people and your stuff can still get taken away. Your life, like you're not impervious to right. every, I don't want to say consequence. Cause like no one, that's not a consequence, but, um, there are forces bigger than the ones that we think about every day. Right. And no one is infallible. Right. Yeah. You solve all your problems with money and then you come up to a problem that can't be solved with money. Yeah. Well, that's that. I think when I said like both Rose and Jack are in a place where they're kind of helpless, mm-hmm. I think they handle their shit pretty well for people who are in not great positions, but then that happens and everybody is helpless. And I think that's why it's so it's, it's just a really, I think that part of the structure of the story is really smart, making those two characters, your main characters, and then watching as everybody else kind of, I don't know. Well, it's like they get, so, so much of the movie is status quo. It's all about status quo, right? All the rich characters are, are kept up, up elevated and all the lower class characters are being pushed down constantly mm-hmm. the whole movie. Mm-hmm. And the thing about Rose, Rose and, and Jack is that even though Rose is upper class, she's not, she's not really, she has no power. She has, she has no, no money, money outside right? of her. Yeah. She has no power or money. So truthfully, she is not upper class. She is not first class. And mm-hmm. so where people are trying to pull them apart because it's like, we're upper and you're lower. It's like, she's actually not. And so she yeah. just keeps slipping through back down mm-hmm. and they, Again, the upper class are trying to push themselves up, and then as the, the things start to go wrong, you see every all these rich people's power start to diminish. Mm-hmm. And strangely enough, like the savviness and the just sheer determination of Rose and Jack elevates them power wise. Like they, anybody else in the situations that they had to go through throughout that whole sinking process, mm-hmm. anybody else on that ship would have would have died during that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But they are just so so determined and so strong and so sharp that they are able to get all the way up to exactly where they need to be for at least one of them to live. Mm-hmm. Otherwise they both would be dead for sure. Yeah. They're, they're like, they become so much more powerful. It's like, it's like you take two people in society, a rich person and like a, you know, like a, someone who's like a farmer or like, you know, an outdoorsman. In society, one of these people has a lot more power than the other. But then take a society away, put them out in the wilderness. Who's got the power now? You know, it's the yeah. it's the people who are way more capable in a in a situation. I, I I didn't realize how much Leonardo DiCaprio's character affected my view on life. Like, I think Jack really molded my path. He's a beautiful soul. Well, just like he—he's an artist. He's, you know, he lives by like the seat of his pants, you know, mm-hmm. and like that's when I'm most happy is when I'm like not worried about the future and just like doing. It's very, the next tr- thing. It's very troubadour. Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. Very troubadour lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So like, so I think you can't avoid this, this idea that like tragedy is the great equalizer of life. Like indiscriminately when a tragedy happens, we're all, we're all in the same boat. Literally in this movie, you know, nice. I didn't mean to do that, but, <laughs> but it's, it's the, that expression makes sense. That, that's what that's yeah. supposed to, that's where that expression comes from is this idea of like, when, when a boat starts to sink, we all are sinking, right? <laughs> like we are all in the same boat together. We are all experiencing the thing together. Like there is there no are separating of, us. There are a lot of boat sayings that are said like a rising tide lifts all boats. Yeah. All yeah. It's like back in the day. It's like that's how we got around and stuff. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. Well, that's the other part about this that, like, really, I love the I love the ocean. I love it so much, but I also respect it <laughs> because it's so scary. Like, I have friends who are like, I would, I friends who can't be on the water who won't go on boats. Like, I would love to live on a sailboat for a while. I grew up on boats. Grew up near the coast. But the first thing you learn that it's like ingrained in me, it's in my, my DNA, it feels like, is like, do not fuck with the ocean. <laughs> like when you're out there. Don't turn you your back be, on the sea. No, you've got to respect it. And I think like to people who maybe aren't, you know, huge water people, that might sound silly, but it's part of why I love the ocean Honestly, so much. And I, I watch this. Who and are, like, aren't big water people understand that better. They're like, yeah, no. <laughs> what are don't, you gonna do? Not go in the water ever? Don't fuck with the ocean. <laughs> that sounds cool. No, don't fuck with the ocean. I mean, there's a running theme here for me in Big Fears, like Jaws and Titanic. Yeah. Like, I'm definitely the ocean. Philosophobia. It it scares me. The ocean is scary. Philosophobia, um, the fear of dark water, deep water. Why do you think it scares you, though? Genuinely, it's just. I mean, like, it's just, you could eat, you could die so easy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, that's it. Mm-hmm. Like, there's like, not only like the thing itself can kill you, but there's creatures in the thing that can kill you. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's like, and you can't see them anywhere because they're <laughs> hidden by the thing. Yeah. It's uh, representative of the subconscious, maybe. I don't know. But, that's, I think that's why, yeah. Um, no, I see that. I think that's why I like it, though, because it's the only thing that I can think of that I got to like, grow up around where I'm like, I don't know, everything else in the world sometimes seems, I don't know. It's just the only thing when I feel like confused or sad or lost or something. If I'm like on the water, then I'm reminded of how like complicated and like just expansive and awe-inspiring like all life is and we can't know all of it and it is terrifying but it's also exciting like it's it just is everything I think that fear is just part of the package of it the same way it is in life and being a person that's cool Mm -hmm. that's one of the coolest things you've ever said Megan (laughs) um (laughs) thank you uh I I want to tell you what I think it's about, unless you want to go first, Megan, if you have more, if you have something else to say. I think I really agree with what Ricky said, the, the, um, kind of, I I don't want to call it an equalizer because it's such a, a horrible thing to be equal in. Um, I wish we could be equal in nicer ways. Um, 
but yeah, no, I agree. I think also the, um, what you were saying about the, the, the clock and that reminding you of that painting, I think part of why it's so haunting and it resonates so deeply, those scenes in that kind of peaceful ballroom before all the water comes in is like, that's, aren't we all just like rearranging furniture on the Titanic? Like we're all going down. Mm. Um, and we're all just doing stuff every day that makes us feel like something matters. And I do think something matters. Like I'm not that nihilistic, but that's why those scenes stick with me so much. I, I totally, and just to mirror that, Megan, like that for me, that's the second theme that mirrors the, the social theme of like mm-hmm. the fact that like money doesn't separate you from mm-hmm. other humans. And that's, that's the more, the more personal theme for me is like not only does money not separate you from other people nothing does you are a human and so is so is so am i and so is every person on the ship was it was a person Mm -hmm. whether they were first class or third class except therapy guys they are not human (laughs) seth is on one (laughs) but you there wasn't therapy in 1912 (laughs) <laughs> Especially it was, it was just probably very problematic yeah just not for rich men when was sigmund freud born <laughs> but you know what i mean like i mean before then because she references him she does that's right uh, who's freud a passenger on the ship <laughs> <laughs> i love that um so yeah maybe i guess therapy was around back then hmm interesting but um the 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 larger overarching social theme is mirrored in the fact that like jack and rose regardless of what their social standings are they're they're the same they are the same yeah we are all the same we are all humans and we all like i said we all are we're all gonna eventually die that's scary and sad um but that's what makes us all the same Mm -hmm. and so like look you can try and like elevate yourself over anybody at any time whatever way you do that some people do that with their money and their power and their status other people do it in other ways, like I know sometimes I'm prone to wielding my intelligence and weaponizing it like that, like trying to like make myself seem smarter than other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that's something I don't necessarily like about myself sometimes is that I, I notice when I'm doing it and I'm like, oh, I'm trying to like make myself seem smarter than everybody else here. And that's not cool. Like, like prove your value. Like, that yeah, to like show that like I that. yeah that I am like somebody yeah. worth talking to or like worth that, yeah. worth respecting in the room. That's not necessarily cool. So I like people. That's what people do. People try and make themselves better than other people. To, it's an ego thing. Um, but like you said, the great equalizer is the fact that we all are going to die, and in a situation like the Titanic, it's so imminent. It's mm-hmm. right in front of you. Like you said, they're mm-hmm. facing their mortality in real time. Zoomed way, way in. Way, yeah. way in. And yeah. it's like all of us at the same time are, are, are facing it. And mm-hmm. it, whether you were first class or you are third class, you, were, you experienced that the same way as everybody else did. Mm-hmm. Almost, yeah. And so like almost, right, almost. Yeah. Again, they're, they're, again, proportionally speaking, the second and third class like definitely got treated worse during it. Yeah. During when it happened, it's as one the others would say. The saddest part is watching that and knowing that the people who weren't in first class, I'm sure everyone was the same amount of afraid, but like that feeling of not being 
in first class and knowing that you are just not going to be prioritized and feeling right. so. And, and that's the, that's like the, the sickest part of it is like, you know, a lot of, a lot of reports say like a whole bunch of like the third class didn't even get, you have a chance to get onto the deck. Like mm-hmm. they, they were, they were locked in yeah. the, the lower decks. And yeah. so like, that's like, like the, they didn't even have an, an opportunity to save themselves, to get into, you know, 33 people were, you know, or like six people were rescued from the water, you know, only six, only six out of the 1500 Rose people was that one of them in this movie, yeah. but like, but in real life too, in real life, this, that's actually a real number. Six, like six people were, were rescued when one boat came back. Um, so like, sure. The odds were really low. Like they just were, um, but not zero. Mm-hmm. If you're stuck in the, in the lower deck of the ship, when it, go, when it sinks, it's zero. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. they didn't even have, a ch- they didn't even have the, their slim chance given to them. And that's like the, the sickest part about it. But, but in general, like the, some of the richest people in the world didn't get on a boat, mm-hmm. you know, people who, you know, Molly. So what's crazy is like Molly Brown, you know, Margaret, Margaret Brown was at a party in France with this guy named JJ Astor. He was throwing this big party in France and that's why she was there. Molly Brown got a got a, a message saying that her somebody in her family was really sick. So she's like, okay, I gotta get back to America. And JJ Astor was also on the Titanic. Uh, after he threw this party, he also got it was on. He was one of the richest people in the entire world at that time. He died. He never got on a boat. There were reports that said that he was getting he was trying to help get people on boats. That's kind of nice, but like, that's like if you like, that's like if you like, oh God, what's happening? The producers, they're upset yeah. or something. That's like if Jeffrey Bezos was on a boat mm. and it started going down and he didn't get on a lifeboat. That's what, yeah. that's what it was like. One of the most rich Well, he could just take world. a rocket straight well, up. Well, nowadays, you know, you can argue. You know? but, well, okay. An, an equivalent tragedy where it's like, okay, there's like a brief moment yeah. where someone can get saved. It's yeah. as if Jeffrey Bezos was did not get saved. Yeah, yeah, and that's like that's clear war amongst the unfathomable, nations. right? <laughs> yeah, but you know what I mean. That's almost unfathomable for us to think about, like in a tragedy situation, how the richest person on the boat, or when, in this tragedy, is not yeah. one of the people that was that they they prioritized to rescue. You want to hear what I think the movie's about? Yes, yes. please. Um, I think. I think there's a lot of irony in what this movie is actually about because it is the opposite of the most iconic. Right. The, you got to let go and you got to hold on. I think, right. I think this movie is about learning to let go. go. I think it's like at its core about knowing when to let go. And, um, yeah, which is ironic because of the never let go, Jack, never let go. But like that whole scene, you know, when, when he's like, Jack is so good at not letting go. Like mm-hmm. he's so good at like flying by the seat of his pants, never giving up, persevering, you know, like that's his well, thing. But hold hmm. on, hold on. Okay. So what he does in that moment, he realizes, and I never, you know, this movie gets a lot of shit when about that boat, that that door thing like where uh-huh. he's like 
he could have fit. He could have fit. Well, they, they do give you a little bit of a, he tries to get on it and it tips, you know, and it's like, oh, it won't hold both of our weight. So like, like they at least give you that. I like, I, I didn't realize they did that, which this movie gets so much crap for that, but yeah, I think he could have fit on it. I just don't think he could have gotten on it without both of yeah. them. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and just for like survivalist speaking. So, um, the, the, the best way in the, that situation to, to survive, if you're going to be in like ice water for a long extended period of time, the, the, one of your only chances of survival is to get your body out of the water somehow, or at least yeah. a majority of your body out of the water because mm-hmm. of the way physics works, the you know, liquid is more, is more atoms, right? It's more molecules coming in contact with you. It's thicker, right? Than air. So even if the air, even if you feel colder in the air, there's literally less atoms constantly hitting your body to take the heat away from you. So, if you're more out of the water, you're going to be losing less heat. You might feel colder, but you'll be you'll less atoms are literally extracting the heat from you. Yeah. Um, and so the only one of the only ways to live is to somehow get a majority of your body out of the water. Yeah, that makes sense. And so, like you said, if Jack got on that door, even if they both could have fit, it obviously would not have stayed as buoyant. Yeah. So they both probably would have been par- either partially in the water or completely in the water, and they probably both would have died. Yeah. Continue, Seth. Well, that moment when he's like, "Never let like I want you to like never give up, like never let go," you know, what he's doing is he is mentally preparing himself for his own death. Yeah. Because the only way that he can let her live live is if he dies mm-hmm. but he but he needs to believe that she's going to live in order to let himself in, die in order for him to let himself die and so like yeah. to me that's represent like so even though like i'll never let go i'll never let go it's it's about letting go it's about this movie is about like oh you don't have to be the fastest ship in the ocean the biggest ship in the ocean like you can let that go like you don't have to be rich you can let that go you don't have to you don't have to you know, like we're all going to die, you know, and at some point you have to process that. And like, I just think, and I I don't think you have a whole lot of control over it either. You can, you can aid it, you know, you can do things to help yourself let go, but it's all, you're, we're all on this, our own journey to learn, like to learning to let go, you know? Um, I'm horrible at it. I'm really bad at letting go of things. Um, it's kind of like my wife, Rob. Um, what are for you say, for right? me, I think there's a double. There's a. I 100% agree with that. I think that's a, a great look. I think there's a double meaning to this idea of letting go, though, because it's not just about letting go. It's about holding on to what's important. Like let go of the things that aren't important. Hold but on it, to the things that are. But even still, you have to at some point let go, like right. no one to but let like, go of the important things. Like she drops the, right. like at the end of the movie, she drops the right. heart back in the, the water. You well, know? I think that to her though, that's not important. It's more She's, important that that heart goes down with the heart, her heart, right? Yeah. But then she dies, yeah. you know, like, like it's, well, it's like, yeah. you have to let go of your life at some point. Well, I think it's because she was, yeah, she was holding on to Jack's story for so long. And when she was able to to 
say like she said she's like i've never told a soul about him until this point ever and now that i have and he's his his life is out there you know like they're gonna those guys are gonna tell that story for the rest of their lives you know what i mean yeah and uh so jack will live on he's been dead for a hundred years almost and uh now he will live on forever as as a whole bunch of other people from that from that tragedy have mm-hmm. it's it's interesting um but you're right like the whole like i won't let go my favorite line in this and they, they actually repeat it several times i know like the i won't let go i'll never let go is like the iconic line but for me like the the really the, the line because they repeat this line twice at the two nexuses of this film is the you jump, I jump. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's again, for me, it's again, it's like human connections. Like, hey, if you go, I go. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where we are the same. Like, I'm going where you go. Always. And they say it like three times in this movie. The if you jump, I jump idea. Which I think is really interesting. But you're that, yeah, the, we got to talk, we got to talk about the, the, the door scene, the, the, you know, the scene in the water and like that whole, like you said, he he knows, he he knows he's gonna die. It's so sad. He knows. He you see it on his face as soon as like he tries to get onto the door and it starts to flip and he's like, okay, you know what? You stay here. You see him like mentally processing, like, okay, okay, like this is shit. It. Yep, yep, shit. Okay. Um, and then he goes, like you said, he goes immediately into, hey, don't hold on to me. You hold on to your life. Mm-hmm. Like, don't let go of 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 you, because because the whole thing about this movie is like she tries to kill herself in the first like fifteen minutes of the movie. You know, she she goes she goes to the to the back of the ship, and she climbs over the edge, and she's about to let herself go. He says she wasn't gonna do it, but she was thinking about it. She was thinking about it, and. uh so like he knows that she already is in a place of like willing to like potentially like not to unalive herself, you know. And so it is interesting that he he I think he's better at letting go than you think. No, no, I mean, um, yeah. In that moment, I'm just saying like how he lives his life is right. So perseverance driven, like no, okay, wait, let me rephrase. Let me rephrase. Yeah. He actually moves through his life very zen. You know, that's what I say. He like, he lets. I think he lets so much go. That's yeah, his let, thing. Yeah, he's he's able to let everything go. Yeah, and he teaches her how to yeah. do it. Yeah, that's a yeah. Bit better way to say it. Like, which is like you said, which is weird because the whole like big iconic phrase is "I'll never let go." But he right. he he holds on. What I what I mean by perseverance is like he holds on to faith that it will, will work out. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like not until the very end that he's will admit that he's going to die. You know, well, like but, but you know, I guess what the thing of it is, is like if he was by himself, like if he was, had never met her on that boat, if he had never met her, maybe he would have lived. Mm. Yeah. He might have. He might have been savvy enough to get to get somewhere. You know what I mean? Maybe he would have found that door and he would have gone on and he would have lived. Maybe. But what a, I mean, but, I, I hope I say but this. The, the but. moment, well, the, the moment that he, he's like, oh, it's not about taking care of myself anymore. Now, now it's about taking care of this person. I mean, I can't think of anything more beautiful than finding something you would die for. 
Mm -hmm. Like that's very hard to find, you know? Um, But like this movie hit me in a, a, like thinking about like letting go and like stuff like that. Like where I'm at, where I'm at in my life right now is a really frustrating place because like, I don't feel like I have a whole lot of control over anything. And like, especially as a comedian, like, which is like where I've invested my entire career into, you know, and I just, I I had, I had the realization this week that perseverance and insanity are the same thing. One is just leads to success. The other doesn't, you know, well, I'll say insanity, like the saying is it's doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. I think perseverance leaves room to try different ways. I don't think they're exactly the same. Yeah. But it's, you know, when you have absolutely no external validation for your pursuits, uh, it can feel insane. And... um like I, I do feel crazy right now in my life. Like I feel like, oh, uh, I li- I apparently have no like actual understanding of who I am or my abilities. <laughs> so it's like, I mean, I do, and I, but like then I, I don't. You know, like it, it's weird. It's weird, and um, I don't know. Like, and then this car situation, it's like, I literally, I need to explain how the car situation went down. And like, this is where I'm hopefully getting some solace is like, I was turning onto my street and my car just seized up, just absolutely seized. And I couldn't turn it, anything, power steering went out, like the engine stopped and, but I'm turning as I'm, you know, doing this, like if this had happened on the interstate, I would, I might be dead, you know? Mm -hmm. And I was literally able to like, just guide it into a parking lot inside into the BP at like right by our place. And there's a mechanic literally right next door. So I didn't even have to get a tow truck. I just, Mm. Isn't Pushed that weird? It. I mean, I the, the the mechanic walked over and we got it started. Mm-hmm. The power steering was still out, but like, I just left it at the mechanic. Like, so like that's where I'm. That's where I'm at. Right? Is like okay, maybe bad things are happening, but it's meant to happen and it's gonna happen the right way. You know, like like this Titanic. Like all the bad things happened it felt like divine intervention. Like there, if it was going to go down, it was going to go down, you know? And like in movies, in movies, when all the bad stuff happens and we have this all is lost moment, there is like a breakthrough, right? Like something, but I don't know if that's what happens in real life, you know? And I think that what you said a few weeks ago that I remember because it reminded me of one of my favorite movies that I'm going to pick eventually is that you get everything you want, just maybe not in the way you think you're going to get it. Yeah. I think you've been working for something for a very long time and it might come to you in a very different way than you think it will. Yeah. And you said that. Yeah. 
it's just when you're in it, no, I know. it's hard. And I know. that's why I'm, I'm definitely in it right now. Um, but I have my friends in this podcast and uh, I just, I just literally feel like I have no, like I'm totally floating in the abyss with no direction. I get that. Yeah. Like an ice boy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, we haven't even, not to make light of anything, but if we should probably address the best SNL skit of all time, which was Bo and Yang as the iceberg. Oh, yeah. On they Weekend Update. hit me! <laughs> I hear this, like, weird Irish music. That was funny, bit. He was, he's very funny. He's very funny. It's he's very story. funny. Um, but, like, I get that, Seth. Um there's a little bit of imposter syndrome mixed into that where it's like, even if you do get validation, you don't buy it. Like mm-hmm. I, I recently had a, a short film that I wrote, um, which was an adaptation of a play I had written in college. The play was a finalist, like a regional finalist for KCACTF, which was cool at the time. Didn't win, didn't advance to nationals, but it was so cool. Um, and then I adapted that play into a short film this past year for a short film competition. And it made it to the quarterfinals of that. And and I got like, you know, I got some feedback from from the competition. Um and there were some really nice things in that. There was some like really, like really awesome like feedback in there. And even like the even the uh the like uh, oh like this can be better type stuff was actually like really positive. Um and yet, you know, it didn't advance and that felt like shit. Yeah. You know, it didn't make it to the semifinals. And so like, it's like, well, well, I must not be that good, you know? And so even all the, all the wonderful good things that this reader had taken the time to say about my script didn't, mm-hmm. didn't matter because, because the end result was not good enough for me, quote unquote. But, uh, so, you know, I have that script and. I have made you know made adjustments to it and things like that, but uh, you know when I read it, I don't see what other people see. Like this is a, this is a story that's two times been nominated for for competitions and made advanced in competitions, right? The same story told told two different mediums has a, has had success in competitions, and yet I still look at it and don't see anything special. Yeah, you know what I mean. And, and that's weird, right? Because there is that external, maybe not like, it's not winning awards or anything, but like there is external validation in one way or another. And, it, but it doesn't matter because the, the end result is still the same as if it hadn't had any success, yeah. right? Well. That's hard. That's yeah. hard to stomach well, as, a, as a creative person. I get I get that and like I've experienced it too where you get you do succeed at something but it doesn't feel like success, you know? Mm. Because it's not the success you had imagined or or whatever. Um the the most tangible thing for me is like I don't know if I've told this story on here before, but like it's uh I I've I have been the best comedian to go up in a night before mm. and when it's over 
I don't care that I was the best comedian. Like, it's not about, like, it's not about the results of, of being the best comedian. Mm-hmm. It's about the doing of the thing. Mm-hmm. So like, so like, I could care less how I did as long as I got to do it, you know? I mean, I want to do well while I'm doing it because it's the way it's, it's better. Mm-hmm. But, but it's like, after it's over, it's like, fuck, I don't, I don't really care. I don't care that you think I did a good job. <laughs> like, I really don't care that you think I did a good job because I, I, oh, oh no, she's gone. I think she unplugged her computer. <laughs> That's funny. She'll be back. Everything go, Megan. Megan? You're so <laughs> stupid, Megan. Why'd you do that, huh? <laughs> uh, yeah. I think it makes sense to me that you're comparing yourself to Jack in that way. Like you said, because that's when you, in your life, I feel like you've been... Seth, for as long as I've known you, you've hated constraints. Yeah. Uh, You've hated people putting harsh restrictions on things and on you, saying how things are supposed to be and how you're supposed to live. You know, people, people's expectations of what you're supposed to be. And you, like you said, you're happiest when you're free, when you are able to be what you are and whatever that might be, it just is. It's yeah. the the freedom to just be, right? Yeah. And like you said, that that's kind of how Jack is. Like Jack doesn't, Jack doesn't have a whole lot of artistic success. Even you know, he even expresses a little bit of like disappointment that like you know, I went to France and I, uh, I was drawing there for for some time, and nobody appreciated my stuff, even though he's clearly talented. He's yeah. a great. He's a good artist. But I think even I was even I can be like. Those are good drawings. I don't know if they're exceptional. They're good drawings. He's good, you know? Um, but I don't know if that would, like, get him any amount of success in France, you know, in yeah. Paris. Like I said, as far as long as I've known you, those times when you are unshackled and n- there aren't expectations being put on what you're doing is when I see you light up the most and like, kind of, like, l- like, lighten a little bit. So I can understand how, like, in currently in what's going on in your life right now, how that feels like it's weighing you down, because it it's more constraints. It's more people saying what you you're supposed to be or what you're not supposed to do, and and this and that. Yeah. Um, I understand that's hard, and because I, you know, I like I said, I go through it too. Like, for me, it's a lot more of like, I. I started writing this play with a friend of mine. Um, we're working on it. And it's, it's a lot about um, being a performer, being like an actor or an artist of some kind, and like feeling like your only purpose in life is to, is to entertain people, is to make other people happy. And if like you're not doing that, like then you're failing, right? And like, mm-hmm. you know, that old Chris Farley saying he's like he would he'll do anything for a laugh like you will you will kill yourself for a laugh you know that's like and that's dark but i feel like a lot of 
big comedic actors and comedians and even musicians feel that way. Like I would kill myself for your entertainment. Um, and like, that's, that's, a, that's intense. That's like, yeah. I like, that's a lot of pressure to put on yourself of like that to hang other people's happiness on, on you. And if you're not performing and other pe- then, then people are not going to be happy. And I feel that way a lot, not all the time, but I have those moments where it's like, if I'm not creating something that's entertaining people, or if I'm like in a social situation and I'm not being the funny guy that like, you know, that I'm going to bring, bring the, the vibe down kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like if I'm not being the funny guy, then it's going to like put a damper on everything. Yeah. I mean, I definitely understand like feeling the emotional responsibility of people having a good time, mm-hmm. you know, like if I ever have a party, I'm like, I'm the most stressed one there. Cause I'm like, I want everybody to have fun. And, and to your point, I think we could do, we could be a little bit more like Jack, like you said, and be like, you know what? I went to Paris I was there for a long time. I drew, I had a lot of great experiences, met some beautiful people, but that's over now. I'm going home and that's okay. You know, I'm going to make the most of the situation that I'm in. He knows how to live life to the fullest, which I yeah. am envious of. Every um, situation. He's like, I'm just going to make the best of what you're giving me right now. Yeah. Like if you're, yeah. if I'm on, if I, you know, if I have a chance to win tickets onto this amazing boat, I'm going to take it, you know? I'll take whatever bunk I can get. I'll take whatever room I can get. And then I'll sleep out on the deck in the oh, end of the stars. Yeah. You know, you're going to invite me to this fancy dinner. I'm going to, I'm going to go and I'm going to eat. I'm going to enjoy. And then I'm going to go dance. <laughs> there is a, a zest that Jack has that I think is what Rose needed. Yeah. She did have, it. that's the thing. She had it in her, but it's, it was, like Seth said, it was being locked down by her fiance, by her mom, by society's expectations of a woman of her stature. Like she was being locked in and she was so unhappy that she was thinking about unaliving herself. Like that's how desperate she was. She even says like, I was in this room and all I could feel was like pressure. It's pressure and pressure. And nobody could hear me screaming, you know, like I said, I think it's really beautiful the way you put it, where this movie is, uh, it keeps saying like, never let go, never let go, never let go. But the movie is about like, no, sometimes you have to. Your heart will go on. Right. Hold on, hold on to what you can for as long as you can, and then be okay with letting it go. Like that, I think that's, I think that honestly, that's where the core of this movie is. Hold on to the important things for as long as you can. And then when it's time to let go, to move forward. Like you said, that your heart for the heart to go on, then let go, yeah. and that's okay, yeah. you yeah. know. And speaking of which, and we can move on. We can we can end the podcast here. That fucking song, I goddamn, I love that song yeah. and the the orchestral version of it that plays throughout the whole fucking movie. Yeah, makes me cry every goddamn time. Like, I love I, it. I love it. But every I, time I hear it, my eyes start watering, and I'm like, God I damn have- it. I have like specific, significant memories of my romantic self being awoken because me and my neighbor, Adrian uh, Renault at the time, 
Adrian, would blare this song on repeat in his bedroom and just belt it <laughs> like at nine years old, nine, ten years old. We would just sing this. I, I can I know every word, you know. And it's a great uh, song. And so like, yeah, the, the, that song is the like the epitome of all romance in in my mind. Man, even that instrumental version of it, though, is, like, so pretty. You know what it reminds me of? And this is the last thing I wanted to say about it. It reminds me of, like, it's, like, a siren song. You know what I mean? It's, like, it, it's ethereal, and it, like, comes from the deep, and it's, like, reaching up and being, like, come, like, come along. Love was when I loved you. One true time, I hold you. <laughs> that is how I know we'll go on. Near, far, wherever we are. <laughs> and I know my heart will go on. I think that's a good place to end our conversation. We'll today. stay. No, Seth, I said we're done now. <laughs> I said we're done now. But for now, we'll call it a, a day on our discussion. Oh, my gosh. Sorry. My my iTunes just started playing in my ear. <laughs> Suddenly, I think I hit my ear. I think I hit my earbud and it started playing. Seth, we can't play this. We can't post this episode now because copyright. You ruined it. <laughs> okay, um, I'm gonna have to cut out all of that. <laughs> speaking of special guests, yes, please. Uh, wait, Seth, we we got to do our, our plugs first, and then we'll oh, tell yeah, them yeah, what's yeah. next. Keep them on their toes. Uh, Megan, tell people where they can find you. Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at Megan underscore Jane 61, M-E-A-G-H-A-N, and at Sometimes Songs on Instagram. All right, thank you so much, Megan. Seth, where can people find you, buddy? Yeah, you can find me at Seth Adam Crow on Instagram and Threads. And Threads. You're and on Threads uh, now? I'm on Threads, baby. Good for you, buddy. Good for you. going to be famous soon. Yeah. Uh, Seth Adam Crow, that's Crow with an E, uh, always with an E. You can find me on uh, Twitter at the Birdie Word. That's T H E B I R D Y W O R D. Or you can find me on my website at sethcrow.com, and that's Crow always with an E. Awesome. And I'm Ricardo Blade Diaz. You can find me at Ricardo Blade Diaz, just like my full name is spelled, on Instagram and TikTok. And you can find this show, the What's It About Film podcast, on Instagram and TikTok. Uh, on Instagram, it's at What's It About Podcast. And on TikTok, it's at What's It About Pod. Uh, you can check out new episodes of the show every Friday morning wherever podcasts are available, particularly Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, and Amazon Music. Those are three of the main places you can find us uh, if you want to listen along. All right. Uh, so as Seth alluded to, we have a special guest joining us next week. Seth, tell us tell us who we're, we're seeing next week. Yeah, it's my good friend and artist and muralist. Rachel Degman. So she's going to be on here and we're going to be doing Peanut Butter Falcon. All right. Peanut Butter Falcon. I like that movie very much. Uh, all right. So for those of you watching along with us at home, we'll be doing Peanut Butter Falcon uh, next week. Let me pull up where you guys can f can watch Peanut Butter Falcon. Uh, let me see here. I'm stuck on Thalassophobia, which is the fear of deep water. Seth. Hmm. <clears throat> Uh, so if you want to watch Peanut Butter Falcon, uh, you can watch it on MGM Plus, Amazon Prime, Sling TV. 
um, the Roku channel. Oh, geez. What happened here? Uh, the Roku, sorry. <clears throat> you can watch the Peanut Butter Falcon on MGM Plus, Amazon Prime Video, Sling TV, the Roku channel, below, all with a subscription. Uh, and you can watch it on Google Play Movies and TV, Apple TV, Redbox, Vudu, uh, all for rental. And you can also, apparently, it is available to watch on YouTube pre- Primetime as well. So, anybody watching, we're watching the 2019 film, The Peanut Butter Falcon, starring Shia LaBeouf and Dakota Johnson. So, let's watch along. Nice. All right, guys. Uh, I guess we'll see you next time, yeah? Yeah. Our hearts will go on. We'll see you next week. Bye. Adios. Bye.